0: All right. um, Next week, I want everybody to be aware that it's Mother's Day. Okay? (laughs) Mother's Day. Um, we are going to be doing something special in here. We've got a baby dedication, and we've got a special interview with one of our moms, Camille King, We're going to be interviewing her on uh, some of her uh, journey, her trials as a mom, trusting God, God's faithfulness. Um, it's not a message only for moms it's a mother's story that will apply to all of us who need uh, help trusting God uh, and have go through or have been through or will go through uncertain times, which is all of us. Uh, So that's next week. Today, we are ending our series, God and Money. This has been a three-week series uh, about faithfully honoring God with what he has given us. We are ending today with a baptism. And on the surface, it might seem like those two things don't go together. Got and money series, and then a baptism, and we like to tie them in usually a little better. But as I was preparing this message, I just thought, man, what? A, this is actually the perfect way to end this series. And hopefully you'll see why when we, when we get to that, that part. Um, but let me recap what we've been talking about so far. Um, this is not a series to get people to give in an offering at the end of today. That's not been the point. The point is financial discipleship, peace, contentment, not envying each other, not being plagued by confusion. So we started week one by talking about how all our money is God's money and that whatever we do with it should be done, can be done, to glorify Him and to be used for His kingdom. Not just what we give away, but also how we spend, how we save, how we invest. All of it can be used for God's glory, God's kingdom. Last week, Pastor Rigo zeroed in on generosity and talked about how our Father in Heaven is a generous Father, and we are called when we belong to Jesus. We are called to imitate His generous heart. And He calls us. He said, "Hey, you're my adopted children. Now go, go be generous like I'm generous, and don't worry. I will continually replenish and refuel you so that you can continue to be generous." That was last week. Today, I want to zero in even more. Um, we want to talk about we want to address some practical questions that we've gotten around tithing bottom line are we commanded to tithe that's a question folks wonder tithing means giving 10 percent oftentimes churches talk about it in, in terms of giving 10 percent to the, them to the church and so people have asked are we, are we commanded that is that just an old testament thing are we still commanded to do that if so can we distribute it all a bunch of different places and so I want to address that question today. It can be a triggering question for some folks. Uh, so let me, let me pray first. Jesus, uh, as we finish this series, I pray that our people could hear from you today. That they would take what's from you and the stuff that's uh, just from me, that they would let it slide off, fall away. But what is from you, Lord? I pray that it sticks and that we are doers of your word, not just hearers of it. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Are we commanded to tithe? So my short answer is with an analogy. What we give, I believe, should feel like Indiana Jones stepping onto that invisible bridge at the end of the last crusade. Anybody see it? Anybody see it? Younger folks, you got to see it, you got to see it. But let me just show that clip at the end of that movie. Impossible. Nobody can jump this. Ah! Indy! Indy, you must hurry! our giving should feel like, stepping onto that invisible bridge, jumping into God's arms. Um, Some of you guys, your tithe might be that next leap of faith. For somebody else, it might be more than that. For someone else, it might be uh, starting off with less. To use another analogy, I used to be a personal trainer back in 20 years ago, and um, uh, I, I, you know, Different clients couldn't all be given the same workout. I can't say, for example, everybody do the same amount of push-ups, right? One person might not be able to do, if I said, hey, everybody do 20 push-ups, one person may not be able to do five push-ups regular. They would have to start with five on their knees and work up to 10 on their knees and then be able to do five regular, you, you know what I'm saying? Somebody else, 20 push-ups is too easy, and it's not going to stimulate muscle growth. It's not going to stimulate them getting to the next level. They need to go to 30 or 40 push-ups. And so I think it's the same with our giving. That's my short answer. My long answer is in the context of my personal testimony. But here's sort of my main point. God is not after our tithe as much as he is after our stretching, stretching our faith and taking ownership of our spiritual community. That's my main point today. Um, so that means some of us start 10, 12, 15. Others start with five push-ups on their knees. My only hope today is to share my story, my wrestling with this topic, and to get you to pray about what that step of faith is for you, right? Like, what is it? What is it for you? That's all my only hope. That's my only goal today. Um, but it's a little tricky. I, I, I shared kind of some of my personal convictions and where I stand with our staff recently a couple months ago, and one of them was like, why didn't you share this sooner? Like, I didn't know where you stood on this, and I, I, it would have been helpful for us to have these discussions. And um, I, I had to be honest. There was, there was three reasons why I've been so... I've never preached on this topic before. Do you all know that? Ten years. Three, three reasons I've been hesitant to talk about this. Um, one of those reasons is that it requires me to be vulnerable in a way that I normally aren't, or, or, or is usually... It can be it can be easy to be vulnerable when I'm talking about my screw-ups and my weaknesses with you guys cuz you guys are gracious. You guys are very gracious church. But talking in a way that might sound like I'm boasting, that's a little more tricky. I don't want to come off like I'm boasting or arrogant. I'm afraid that might happen today. I want to come off humble. I want to come off real humble. And so I'm tempted to hold back on what might help you in order to come off humble. How prideful is that? Huh? How prideful is that? How selfish is that? So that's been a, hesita- a reason that I've been hesitant to address this topic. A second reason I've been hesitant is that I do wanna be slow, and I did think this was a right reason. I do wanna be slow to not put my personal convictions on everyone else. Like, not even, like first of all, not all my opinions are convictions from God, right? Anybody else opinionated like me, I can be real opinionated about things. Some of y'all think I'm diplomatic, that's, that's an exercise in self-control. My wife will tell you, I got opinions about everything. Not all of that's from God. Somebody needs to hear that today. <laughs> not all of that's from God. And not every God-given conviction for me and my family is for the church as a whole. So I want to be slow and be prayerful about, okay, is this something to put before our church? And a third reason that it's been uh, a little tricky to address this, and, and I've been hesitant, is that some of our leaders disagree on this one and disagree with me. And, and so, um, yeah, those are my three reasons. But that said, uh, I'm going to address it. So, like I said, in the context of my story, um, I never really valued a dollar. I never really knew the value of a dollar until I was about 18 years old and out on my own. Um, I had worked some part-time jobs as a teenager, but I I don't know what I did with the money. I don't remember even thinking about money. But when I was 18, I dropped out of the University of Miami, and I went out to Los Angeles to pursue filmmaking. I dropped out during the first semester to get the money back. That was kind of strategic, (laughs) um, to get the money back that that my parents had put in for the first semester. I had brothers that were going to be going through college. And so I took 15 grand and went out to L.A. to get started with that. Uh, you know, and, and by the time I got a car, uh, uh, an iMac desktop computer, this was the year 2000, and, and it just got my life set up, that money was like gone. Uh, I was working at a gym. Uh, I was making small amounts of money. I was paying parking tickets and moving violations because I wasn't used to driving around in a city. I, got, I, was get, I was getting pulled over on the way to court, no joke, <laughs> no joke. I was like, officer, I actually got a court date right now for something similar to this. Can you just let me go? It didn't work. Uh, so I was broke. I was not homeless, but I think some homeless people uh, felt sorry for me. Uh, with my situation. I was living in an apartment with a guy who was 20 years older than me. I was 18. He was 38. He had just gotten out of prison. Um, and uh, he said, my credit's bad. Well, I was like, of course, you've been in prison. I get it. Uh, I, I got you. And so we went in on this, this apartment. He uh, was st- ended up stealing from me. I didn't know it. We had no furniture in this place. I would come home at night and turn on the light, and cockroaches would just scatter and we were used to this thing. They were all like, oh, he's home, got to go to bed. And they would run. And I was like, come on, guys, you know the drill. Get, get to bed. They were my pets. <laughs> so I would go to the living room. I would lay down on a pile of clothes. That was my bed. Uh, I would get inside of sleep. Maybe I got to cover up my face so that the cockroaches didn't get on my face uh, during the night. And I'd go to sleep. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have some food for breakfast from the 99 cent store, usually like a can of tuna with a a flour tortilla, and then I'd sprinkle it with salsa that I stole from Del Taco down the street. What I used to do for exercise was I used to run in the morning to fast food restaurants and swipe their condiments, and I'd run home. Because I couldn't afford to get the condiments. That was my life then. Um, and so I was broke. Uh, I did not know what to do with my money. It, was just, it would come in and then it would leave. And I'm like, where's my money? What's going on? I ended up giving my life to Jesus Jesus out there, getting serious about my faith in him. Ended up going to a few churches, stuck to a, a, a large church in the middle of, of LA. And um, I started hearing about this idea of tithing. They would talk about tithing. They would talk about it a lot, a whole lot. And uh, they would share verses like this from Malachi 3, 3.10. Some of you guys who came from churches, you, you heard this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So this was a, a verse I heard a lot, but I'm sitting there, I'm 19 by this point, and I'm like, all right, even if this verse is verses being used properly, this ain't for me. This is for people older than me and richer than me. It ain't for broke people like me at 19 years old. So I kind of ignored it, kind of figured it didn't apply to me, as you do with lots of scriptures, right? That don't apply to me, you know, and, but... Cut to September of 2002. I was 20 at this point. I had been in L.A. almost two years, and I, it was bad. It was bad with my money. I, I was looking at a month. It was the beginning of September. I remember this. I was counting up the jobs that I had lined up for that month, and I was counting up the kind of money I could expect, and I was like, it does not match the expenses that are going to be going out this month. I don't know what to do, I mean, and it was a pretty, pretty big gap. And so I finally said, all right, God, he said to test you in this, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try I'm like, what do I got to lose? I'm going to try this whole tithing business. I'm going to tithe. And what I decided to do was I decided not to tithe based on what I made in August, not, not tithe based on what I expected to make that month. I don't remember the numbers, but let's say it was like 1,200 at the time that I expected to make, but I needed to make 2,000. So I decided I'm going to tithe off of this 2,000 that I need to make this month. I mean, and it felt like that's not a lot for, you know, $200, right? But as a 19 year old who's got $400 in the bank, that's a lot. So, like Indiana Jones in that moment, I, it was like, I was like, oh, okay, God. And I just took that step, and God caught me. He caught me that month. It, it, sources of income came, I mean, Income came in from unexpected sources, things that I had no clue. I was like, whoa, where's this money coming? I made more that month than I had up to that point in L.A. And I was like, wow. And it wasn't like, oh, this tithing works. I'm going to get rich off. No, it wasn't like that. It was just God caught me. He caught me. And the bigger miracle, more than financial provision, was this sense of peace that flooded my heart. This worry had been hanging over me since I got to L.A., And it was just a stronghold, and it broke. Peace flooded my heart, and I was like, ah, I'm going to be okay. Even when other rough times come, I'm going to be okay. Another gift that God gave me, another uh, gift as a result of that was, was wisdom. It was like I jumped into God's arms, and he caught me, and in his arms was this wisdom of how to manage money. Like, God started to put people in my life to help me figure out what to do with my money. I had been plagued by this cloud of confusion up to that point. Like I don't know what to do. What do I pay first? What do I say yes to? What do I say no to? Is this a bill that I need to pay? I didn't know what to do, and it broke. All of a sudden, things started to make sense. I, I remember listening to... Um, Crown Financial, I don't know if anybody have, have heard of it, um, it was like an early version of Financial Peace, I think they're still around, um, but I would listen to them on the radio, driving around LA, I would listen to them, and I remember hearing about this Money Map poster, um, it was based on biblical principles, so I, I made a donation, I got the poster, it looked something like this, this is the 2021 version, uh, so this is, you know, a 2001 version, let's say. But I hung this thing on my wall. You don't need to see the details necessarily, but it's just steps. You know, get an emergency savings, I have three to six months of, of savings. I started to do those steps. I was just like, I'm just going to do it. I, I, I while continuing to tithe, I came up with this um, budget, and this budget help me so much. Young people, let me just say this. If you think budgets and limitations and restrictions on yourself are going to make you feel restricted, it's the opposite. Having a budget and having limitations freed me. I knew all of a sudden what to say yes to and what to say no to. If somebody said, hey, Chris, you want to go out to eat, but I had already spent my entertainment stash for the month, I was like, no, next month. Catch me next month. I'm staying in. I'm going to pop in a Blockbuster DVD. They were still around at that time. So I knew what to say yes to, and then I also was given this discontentment. Like I didn't need to go, I could, I didn't need to do what everybody else was doing. I could be broken, and poor and, and be content. I was content with that. I wasn't jealous of my high school friends from New Jersey anymore who were in college going to those all-you-can-eat, you know, dormitory cafeterias while I'm rationing out tuna from the 99-cent store. I was content I was like god 's got me here for a reason and a purpose. I, I believe that I trust that. so in other words, I experienced that it 's better to have less to work with plus god 's wisdom rather than more money, but only worldly wisdom. I experienced that, I felt that, so I continued to tithe, I continued year after year, month after month, never stopped, never let any any sort of hardship stop that, um, and then I got married in 2010, Jess and I got married and uh, we started to, we had, you know, she was tithing to her church and so we kind of put our money together. i like, okay, what's this going to look like for us? How's this going to work? Um, but by that point, I was also an associate pastor of a um, relevant church up in Ocean Township. I, I was going to Bible college. I was wrestling with scripture in different ways and people were asking about tithing. And so I wanted to step back and go, okay, What does Scripture say about this? I want to have a good handle on this. I don't want to form doctrines out of my own experience. You know what I mean? Because we could have a tendency to do that. Church people do. So I don't want to form a doctrine out of my own experience. I want to know what Scripture says, and I want to be able to answer according to faithfulness to God's Word more than anything else. Um, So I dug in. I dug into Scripture, um, and, and, and and I looked at, you know, when and how does Old Testament commands apply in the New Testament? There are some things that are explicitly commanded in the Old Testament, and then they are also explicitly commanded in the New Testament, like don't murder. Christians should not debate about whether or not the Bible condones murder. It's pretty clear in the Old and the New Testament. Then there's some things that are explicitly commanded in the Old Testament, but explicitly end in the New Testament, like animal sacrifice. We don't sacrifice goats and lambs and bulls anymore. You shouldn't do that. Good Christians shouldn't even debate that. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then there's other things that are a little more ambiguous that Christians do debate over. Uh, The Sabbath day, being on the seventh day that we have to uh, observe do we still need to do that? It's explicitly commanded in the Old Testament. It's kind of silent in the New Testament. People argue that it continues. Some argue that it ended, that it was fulfilled in Jesus. And, and, and some will say it was fulfilled in Jesus. But uh, practically, we, we apply principles differently now under the New Covenant. We don't have, it's okay to work on a Saturday. We're not sinning if we're working on Saturday. It's okay. Uh, but we're resting in Jesus on every day of the week because he's our ultimate Sabbath rest. So I was like, which category does tithe fall into? And so I'm wrestling with that. And, and so the first thing I, I kind of learned and understood about the Old Testament tithe was, and I'm just going to summarize this for you. You can, you can dig in on your, on your own. But there was three tithes in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. Uh, the Levite tithe, this was when all, all the tribes of Judah would, uh, I'm sorry, um, all, all the tribes uh, of Israel would take 10% of what their land produced, and they would give it to the tribe of Levi, who did not have their own land. They were the priests. They ran the temple. They uh, did God's work. And so they were provided for from the tithes of all the other tribes. But that wasn't the the only tithe. There was also a feast tithe. This was a tenth that would almost be put into a savings account of sorts that would be used to celebrate the feasts and to celebrate God. It was like the party tithe. They were commanded to do this. And then there was a poor tithe, and this would, this would be taken every three years. This was for the poor of the land, the fatherless, the widows. Uh, and so this was only every three years. And so on an average yearly basis, that comes out to be three and a third, right, if you do the, do the math. Um, and so in total, when you add it all up, they were really being asked to put aside 23 and a third each year. Now, I had not yet here at church... Even a church who says that, you know, the letter of the law of the Old Testament say you got to put aside 23 and a third percent. Most churches seem to just stick to the Levite tithes, and they kind of dismiss the other ones. And that's, that's, that's fine. But I was like, all right. That, that, that was the first thing that made me go, hmm, 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 hmm. I don't, okay. So then we get into the New Testament. And, and as Pastor Rigo and I have talked about, uh, Jesus did not, as much as he talked about money, and he talked about money a tonne. More than most topics, he talked about money. But he never commanded tithing. He didn't talk about that. The only time he mentioned that is when it was like a backhanded uh, way. It was criticizing the religious leaders because they were so meticulous about the tithe while they were neglecting weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy. That was the only time. And yet he talked about money a ton, so he had an opportunity to talk about it. I want to jump to the widow's mite, which was uh, referenced by Pastor Rigo. I want to look at this story i got to look at a few ones in the New Testament. As Jesus looked up, he, this was in the temple. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. So the rich are putting their, their their offerings in, but but it's like Jesus is seeing it, it's not changing them. It's not a it's not a leap of faith. They're not putting these gifts in. They're like it's, they're like just cutting a check and it's easy. It's like it's manageable. I I got this. It's not that leap of faith. And then Jesus notices this little widow come up. And widows did not have security in this time. They they were they they, they didn't have this residual income coming in. They didn't have uh, you know benefits from the government. They were they were in a hard place. And yet and yet he 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 sees this woman come up and she puts in. Two snaps, a copper point, copper coins, and he, Jesus says, That's so much more than all the others. So much more than all the others. Why does he say that? Because apparently, Jesus knew all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. He's like, I know, he knew that's all she had. So she. It was like Indiana Jones, stepping onto that invisible bridge. She was throwing herself into the arms of God. She was going to the top stair of the staircase like kids do, right? And jumped into her father's arms. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know how you're going to provide for me, but I know you will. And she's like, that's that's faith. That's sacrifice. That's trust in her father. But Jesus doesn't mention tithing there. He He didn't say, and therefore, make sure you're tithing. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Now, the New Testament church is born after Jesus rises from the dead. He pours out his spirit on the early church. And all of a sudden, miracles are happening. Healing miracles are happening. Not just being performed by Jesus, but the early church is doing them. People are getting healed. Uh, People are getting saved. They're trusting in Jesus by the thousands, being baptized. And another miracle that's happening in this church community that Luke points out in Acts 2, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Property and possessions. I mean, think of what you own. You know, would you sell your house, your car? and Just give it all. Hey, 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 here, church, here, community. Here, take it, take it, take it. In Acts 4. Verse 34, it says, There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So was Luke saying, wow, look, they're tithing. No, 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 no. Hey, no, 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 no. Because giving 10% would not have showcased the power of the Spirit. Giving 23 and a third percent would not have showcased the power of the Spirit at work in this church community because the Jews were used to doing this without the Holy Spirit in them. Now they have the Holy Spirit, and Luke is saying, oh, look what they're doing now. They've, they've, they've gotten rid of the tithe. They're, they're going way more. They're selling their houses, and they're laying it at the apostles' feet, and they're going, here, you guys, I'm, you guys aren't perfect, but you have a pulse on the church. Use it as you see fit. I'm trusting God with you, and I'm trusting you with my money. Now that was huge. No mention of tithing, though. No mention of tithing. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in other places, he talked about, hey, provide for your spiritual leaders and uh, don't, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. So, you know, provide for those who are teaching God's word and whatnot. But he doesn't say, you have to be tithing in order to do that. He doesn't give those. Paul had many opportunities to give that a practical instruction. He could have said, stop tithing to the temple and start tithing to your church community. He didn't do that. One example is in the letters to the Corinthians. He talks about this. Um, There was a crisis in Jerusalem. So he's, he's trying to get the churches to take an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And he says to the Corinthians... In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow, sow generously, reap generously. That's a principle. Pastor Rigo talked about that last week. And he says God loves a cheerful. The Greek word for cheerful is hilarion. It's where we get hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. God loves someone who's so filled with joy in God that they're like, yeah, my money, I would have it here. Take it. I, he's going to provide for me. I'm jumping into his arms. I'm climbing to that 10th step, and I'm jumping into his arms. And I'm going to provide for the community, and I'm going to provide for that other church community over in Jerusalem. So when people say, do I have to tithe? It's really an indication... That their heart is not filled with this hilarious generosity. Do I have the tithe? No, no, no. But God is so good. So I came to the conclusion that the tithe was like training wheels for those who did not yet have the spirit in them. Just like the seventh day Sabbath was a foreshadow of Jesus being our ultimate Sabbath rest. Every day we should be waking up resting in him. He is our Sabbath rest. He is where we stop performing and earning our righteousness because he's earned it in our place. Uh, Practically speaking, we should take time to stop working. We should have days off. We should have times where we stop accomplishing and earning. But I don't think it's a sin if you're working uh, at Walmart on a Saturday. And same, same, same with the tithes. I came to the conclusion that the Bible does not command 23 and a third, nor does it command 10% for the New Testament church. But there are principles from the Old Testament tithe that still apply to the New Testament church. Namely, number one, stretching us in our faith. Our giving should be stretching us in our faith. Refer back to the Indiana Jones example. That's what it should be. So it shouldn't cause us, in other words, to let up on the gas right? The fact that the Old Testament doesn't hold us to that shouldn't cause us to let up on the gas. It should cause us to hit the gas even more. When you take training wheels off of a kid's bike, they don't go slower. Usually they go faster, right? When you take training wheels off, they don't go, oh, I don't have to ride the bike anymore. It's like, what? You learn how to ride a bike so you can ride the bike. Ride, go fly, have fun. Hit the gas even more. It it was consistent. This conclusion, I believe, was also consistent with what Jesus did with every other command in the New Testament. What did he say? What did he say? He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. And everybody's like, well, where the heck am I going to get the power to love my enemy? From the spirit that I'm going to fill you with. You have heard that it was said, don't murder. But I tell you, don't even have hatred for your brother in your heart. Well, how the heck am I going to do that? By the Spirit, I'm going to fill you with And I think it's the same with this. You have heard that it was say, tithe. And now I tell you, now I tell you, be willing to sell whatever it takes. Because your joy is in me. It's all mine. You can give it all away. I've died for you. I've proven my love for you. I got you. So that was the first conclusion, the first principle that I saw. And then the second one is that our giving should be taking ownership of our church community. Right? We saw that with the uh, early church. They laid it at the apostles' feet. They made sure that nobody was lacking. Everybody in the church uh, got what they needed. They were taking ownership of their community. People have asked practically, well, you know, should my giving, you know, can, can, I, can I tithe? And then should I, can I distribute that to other different places? And, and my personal conviction okay it's not explicitly stated in the scripture so let me be clear but my personal conviction is that the majority of our giving should go to our spiritual family just like if we want to provide for food for kids uh, down the street it should not come at the neglect of providing food for my own kids right if my wife came home and saw me mowing my neighbor's lawns while our grass is four feet high something wrong with that picture right if my kids said, hey, Dad, can I help my friends clean their room? Absolutely. Be generous. Help them. And then they came back with, so I don't have to clean my room, right? It's like, uh, no. Not how it works. They pull weeds on Saturday. If they say, well, hey, Dad, I helped Kaylee pull her weeds, so I don't have to do that, right? No. You're part of this family. Yes, be generous to other families. And so that was a conviction I came to. Our giving should stretch us in our faith. It should feel like, oh, God, I'm jumping into your arms. And it should be taking ownership of our spiritual family. And, and you know, thinking about the Jerusalem church that was being uh, provided for through other churches, um, as a pastor, for, as our church community, it also gave me this conviction, and, 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 and our leaders share this, that we as a church should be tithing our own money to provide for needs in the larger kingdom of God. But we don't, as a church, give away 10% to missions. We don't give away 23 and a third percent. Uh, We've been trying to give away at least uh, 25% to missions. Last year, it was 35.4% of our budget went to outside missions. So we, as a church, want to practice this as well. And by missions, we're not talking about local outreaches. That's that falls under our ministry's budget. We're talking about things that do not have true life's name on it. I'm going to show you a list our mission committee signed off on last year. Um, Bill Robertson, Nancy Schiavo, Pam Hess, our mission committee. These are some of the places we've given to in 2022. Afghanistan Refugee Support, Step of Faith Ministries, uh, there, I got an email from Pam, I'm going to be sending that this week, that you can see how you're giving to True Life goes to Step of Faith, which goes to Albania and Haiti. Um, open Door Pregnancy Center, there's Mission Trip Grants for people who are going to those places. Remnant Church is a church plan in Long Branch. Disaster, that's for uh, hurricane relief, or, or when things happen, we can help provide like in Puerto Rico a few years ago, Ukrainian refugee, Alar Farm who serve in the community in Wall, kids with special needs, animal rescue, future church plants, fellowship deaconry ministries, provisional Romania bringing the gospel to Romania and caring for orphans there, rooted in love is a ministry to women in the sex industry, destiny rescue is for kids trapped in sex trafficking. So that's where your giving to True Life goes to those places. So when I can I can challenge somebody to give the true life, knowing that we're not a narcissistic church that just wants to spend it on ourselves and get new drums and all that, like we're sending money out. We're sending money out as a church community because hilarious generosity is what we're called to. It's what we want to be about, not only as individuals, but as a church community. Hilarious generosity. Erring on the side of this really doesn't make any sense that we'd give away this much. We want to err on that side. So back to my story with Jess and I. Where did we land as a married couple? Coming to this conclusion about tithing, it wasn't because, oh, I don't want to tithe anymore. It was like, oh, wow, that was like training wheels. So like, now what? Now what? What can we do now? Like, we had heard some inspiring stories of people who were living off of 10% and giving away 90%. We're like, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. We can't just assume that that's going to happen when we're 50, you know, it, we, we got to plan for it. So we made it a goal of trying to increase the percentage that we give away every year. So in 2010, we started and we started to try to increase it. It didn't end up being like 1% every year. It didn't even end up being like half a percentage. So right now we're at like, I, I looked at it, I just was looking at it. It's about 16% in 2022 that we were able to give away. 16% of what came in, the majority of that goes to true life. 14% of it went back to true life. Uh, in, in different ways. Um, the other 2% with different organizations and ministries. I don't think that counted like gifts to people that we know in, in, in need. Um, but that's where we're at. And as I was looking at it and as I've been praying, preparing this message, I realized I've been convicted in a couple ways in this series. Two different ways that I felt convicted. I'm going to share them with you. Number one, most of our giving to these places is automatic. You know, it gets taken out of our checking account. And we just see it at the end of the month. And so, you know, Pastor Rigo talked about it in the sermon, like, are we stopping to give thanks for it? Are we stopping to worship? Are we stopping to say, God, this is my offering to you. I'm trusting you. And the truth is, Jess and I aren't doing that enough. And so we talked this week, we got to make a change. We got to, uh, Dan Dornacker shared with our board that he and Kristen had their giving to True Life on automatic. By the way, I don't know who gives what. I don't see reports. I don't know who gives what to True Life. I get summaries of bottom lines, okay? So, all right, just keep making sure that's clear. But Dan, and, Dan was like, yeah, me and Kristen stopped our automatic giving so that we can hit send every week and make it an act of worship. So that was one area where I was convicted. It comes out like, you know, our JCP&L bill comes out. And the second thing is, looking at it, I was like, yeah, it, whatever amount we're given, 16%, it's it, probably a conversation is needed where it's, it's probably not if we're honest feeling like Indiana Jones going, it's not feeling like it did at 19 years old and at other parts of my journey. And so we got to look at that because the goal isn't to get to a certain place and then coast, right? It's to always be going, God, all my money's yours. What do you want me to do? How can, I, how can you stretch me now? How can you stretch me now? How can you show up now? How can, how can you, you know, as kids get older, if a 3 year olds jumping off of the third step in their dad's arms, it might be thrilling. When they're 10 years old, it ain't thrilling anymore. They got to keep going higher and higher. So at some point, when our giving is no longer thrilling, we should go higher and higher. Amen? So that's where we are at. And I just want to ask and end with the question of where are you? Does your current giving stretch you in your faith at the moment? If you're at 10%, does it need to go to 12 or 14 or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30%? If it's at zero, does it need to go to 5%? I was talking to somebody a few months ago who, who said, yeah, we, we had to really cut back on our giving because of this and that. Um, but over the, and you know, they were, they were just sharing it with me. Um, and over the course of our conversation, they realized, they were like, but I do, now that I'm thinking about it, I spend more at Dunkin' Donuts than I do in my giving. So they realized that managing their money was an issue, and so they made some changes and they made a commitment, and they came back and they are like, hey, we're, we're giving 5% now, and that was a huge step of faith. So I was like, praise God. I don't think God's out there going, it ain't 10%, so come back when you're ready to go. You know, right? It's like a huge step of faith. And somebody who's already given 20%, if you're coasting, it might be, hey, God's like, come on. Come on, climb higher. Take the next step. Take the next step. And then, oh. <laughs> we'll skip that. I was going to show that again. Is your current giving showing ownership of your church community? That's the next one. If it's so spread out in different places, but it's not taking ownership of, remember, the church is our family. Church is our family. If I'm doing things for all these other people but neglecting my own family, there's something off about that. And if we're giving all, all, all the places but not to our church family, I would say there's something off of that. And that's not just about true life. That's, if you're visiting from another church, you should be giving to that church. And if there's a, sometimes it's because of a disconnect and that you need to address. It's an indicator where your heart's at. Now, I said it ties in with baptism and you might be wondering, how the heck? Well, here's the thing, here's the thing. The Old Testament ties was about bringing our God our first and our best. That's what God was training them to do. And under the new covenant, God still calls us to offer our first and our best as a sacrifice of trust Declaring, I'm yours. My life is yours, right? Not just with money, every area of our life. When I was 19, it was one area after another where God was like, I want that. Your sex life, give it to me. It's mine. Getting drunk all the time, give it to me. It's mine. Smoking pot, give it to me. It's mine. And then money, give it to me. It's mine. But trust me. Trust me that I'm going to, it's better. It's a life of blessing when you surrender it to me. So that's everything, not just money. The tithe was just an example of that in the Old Testament. It models what God did first. He sacrificed his one and only son, his first and his best, to say to humanity, I'm yours. That's what the cross is about. He came down here and he said, I'm yours. My first and my best my whole life to show you how much I love you. Giving myself to you. And so when we trust in him and the first sacrament that is uh, commanded of us is baptism. Baptism is a declaration because of what Jesus did. I'm all his. Every area of my life. My money. Every area of my life. I'm his. And that's what our giving should declare. What our baptism declare, should declare. What every area of our life should declare. I'm his. I belong to Jesus because he paid the price for me. He ransomed me. Jeff, um, you back there? Can you put up the slide from the song, How Deep the Father's Love, the one that goes... Um... Oh, gosh. Something that had the word treasure in it. Help me out, Mandy. Yeah, so go back One. Yeah, so that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. I was, when we were singing that, it just stood out to me. He should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. He should give his only son to make us his treasure. To make us his treasure. And when we become his treasure, when we get that we are his treasure, you know what it does? Our hands go like this with all our earthly treasures. When we get how much that we're his treasure, we go, ah, ha, ha, it's yours. My treasures are not my treasures. I'm your treasure. And so my treasures are yours. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came here. You gave yourself so that we, wretches, sinful human beings, would become your treasure. Thank you that you're gracious. Thank you that we are your children. And that you're not up there uh, counting beans and giving us grades on our giving. That's not what you're doing, Jesus. Jesus. You're inviting us into a life, a thrilling life of surrender, of sacrifice, of jumping into your arms, of making sure that our community, our family is provided for and cared for, of taking the privilege that we have of being Americans and dispersing some of our wealth to the world around us, to missionaries and churches, building wells, caring for refugees, Jesus, I pray that you continue to not only provide the wealth to do that, the financial blessings to do that, but continue to provide the peace that we need when we are battling worry, provide the wisdom we need when we're battling confusion, and provide contentment that we need when we're feeling envious of others. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right.